0: to the Painter Bride Quarterly Slush Pile. Thanks for tuning in and, and listening to us today. Um, what we're about to do is discuss some poems that um, have been submitted to Painter Bride Quarterly and I'll let you in on what the editorial process is like. Um, so here we're still Zooming and I'm at my home in Collingswood, New Jersey. I'm Kathleen Volk Miller and I'm gonna bounce it. Let's stay in America this time. Usually we go right over to Marion. We'll stay in
1: America. Um, Hi, Alex. Hello, I'm Alex, Alex J. Tunney. I'm over in Long Island, which will be important later. Put a note in that. Uh, (laughs) I have two major announcements. I have switched over to hot coffee. I've been (laughs) here (laughs) Uncle. And more importantly, I am now Uncle Alex. Oh! young dina oh. congratulations so were you, are you saying that you drank iced coffee or you drinking no coffee well, i'm iced coffee until it gets like i'm freezing over and then i'm right. like okay it's, it's hot coffee time like i'm gonna hold out until it's like 50 degrees out yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we're getting in
0: the low 50s overnight these days so all right
1: all right oh uh, and i'll i'll uh, pass the baton. Well, yeah, Sam. Sam, we're, we're doing that. She's for, in America. For you you forgot. Yeah. Hi, everyone.
2: Hi, everyone. My name is Samantha or Sam. Um, I, no, I, I like Sam, it's great. Um, I um, am in my shared office in Johns Hopkins, um, where I study and teach. And, um, I have um, a little announcement too. I have a new part-time gig with Johns Hopkins University Press, which I'm really excited about. Um, I'm working with Project Muse, so many of you do that in their book division. Um, so I am excited to kind of bring some ideas from there into our conversations here too now.
0: Oh, wow, that is super exciting, Sam. Congratulations. Thanks, That's and wonderful.
2: Yeah, and it's specifically a role they've built into um for first generation college students which is super cool I think I think that's really neat um mm -hmm. Um, I'm gonna stay in America and go to Harmony
3: (laughs) so I'm working with um editing the podcast for Slushpile and this is a little bit of an aside but I'm actually going to John Hopkins to visit my best friend um two weeks so you see me, uh, oh yeah let's, let's have yeah. a
2: coffee definitely that's wonderful
0: mm-hmm. wonderful and harmony uh works with larissa morgano who's kind of here i think in spirit here. Um, she's in oh hello larissa
1: here in the states here in west philly here in spirit here in zoom uh, <laughs> all the ways half emptying my dishwasher while i mute myself and run around and <laughs> do things and I, and my announcement is that it's hoodie season um and i'm very happy about hoodie season yes and marion even went and got her hoodie um, <laughs> while we were chatting before alex already had his on yes so sam's gonna need to get hers Kathy, you need to get yours um and then i guess we can go international now and go to marion
3: Hello, hello, slushies. I am wearing my weird New Jersey hoodie in solidarity with this um, U.S.-based Zoom call. Um, So this is Marion. I'm here in Abu Dhabi hanging out with my cat, Emia, who will probably talk on this episode. Um, And I can't wait to talk about these poems. All right. Wonderful. Marion,
0: what is the temperature still there in Abu Dhabi right now?
3: Oh, you know, it, it just started to break. It's actually quite pleasant um in the sort of low 80s. Nice, I mean, nice. That's what it feels like. Yeah. But most most important is the gorgeous moon that's rising. Right. So I know y'all taking pictures of it too, but holy mackerel. It rose up tonight. It was just a gorgeous, gorgeous pink smudge on the horizon. So wonderful yeah so we're you know slushies we never know exactly
0: when these will be released but we're talking to each other now um, in mid-october so that's why we're still we're, we're all about the transition right now so anyway enough of all this let's get to these wonderful poems today we have uh two poems by two different authors we have nancy thorleafson and rachel phillips and i think we're going to start with the nancy thorleafson um so thank you to the poets for allowing us to uh do this so do this means we're going to start off by reading the poem and slushies uh, know that you can also go to the website pbqmag.org and um read along stop the recording go read come back whatever you want to do um but the poem is available to you there as well as um
1: right now so, so is, oh,
0: let's see who would like to volunteer to
1: read oh so i'll, I'll volunteer as long islander <laughs> oh there you go great all right long island sound the chop on the sound nearly drowns the clubbing you deal blue fish on deck red slicks beneath one bold bastard flipping you s- silvered purses straining for water or flesh summoned Then wind surprises, cracks you a backhand. A cleat bruise begins darkening your rose tattoo. They suspend at depth, hit and hit, until sated and free, or iced under gray. The bow begs a turning back, we know you'll refuse. Tired, still, for a time not long, never long. You swear when the inboard coughs, taunts, and seizes in the rain. The rain dares spit on your back in the hold, under gulls striking near the siren water sounds, gone unlovely, steady long gone. Just the sound of metal striking struck metal, like metal resisting your forge hard and hot and bent. And the gulls cry over diesel on waves, sheening a sad iridescence like soap on tongue.
0: Thank you.
3: Nicely read, Alex, and you know what? I love hearing this poem with the Long Island accent. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm really, I'm charmed and drawn in by this, like the, not quite jargon, but the specificity of the description through the language of this expertise, right? Like something about like, just, I mean, the, the scene is a fishing, a fishing vessel and and fish basically being caught and brained on on the deck, right? Um, so it's 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 a work poem, but it's it's relying he- like heavily on that descriptive language to create this atmosphere that feels so um, apropos Long Island Sound.
2: One thing I really love is how in that first stanza we have the chop on the sound nearly drowns the clubbing, you deal bluefish on deck. And actually the first line, I'm still sitting with it and thinking about it. And so it almost drowns for me, the next line. It, it it does what it describes in a way, this poem, in a way that is really satisfying and makes me immediately as I'm going forward, still want to start from the beginning and reread it again.
1: Mm-hmm
0: after after all of that brutality right and and blood and metal and striking like all those words that last image like soap on tongue the intimacy of that is just really striking to me um To come into the body after all of that description,
1: is I just I just want to stay there and think about that. Yeah, sorry, I, I I'm kind of still mesmerized by the poem because as somebody who lives on Long Island, I think of the suburbs. You think uh, like NASA and like Suffolk County, and kind of forget that there's like a mar- there is a maritime kind of I, I don't know industry to to it. Like there's still farmland on long island if you go like way far out so it just like it's a side of long island that i don't usually see in in work mm-hmm. all the time so just like that because i want when i think of like fish and stuff like that at least in america i think of boston for some reason so mm-hmm. i just like specifically the long island sound is just interesting and yeah
3: well, okay, so now this is this is not the poem's fault, but right, like the songs like songs about Long Island sound, I'm thinking Billy Joel, right? So like the <laughs> what is it, the down Downeaster Alexa or something? Like there's a the these the classic Billy Joel tune that's yeah. sort of like focusing on the work of, of a fisherman, right? Or the work of a fishing fleet. Um, but that's not to detract, like, from this poem. It's actually highlighting what also feels like, like these vernacular gestures of, like, yeah. whereas it's that, that then when surprises crack you a backhand, a cleat bruise, bruise begins darkening your rose tattoo, that there's something in the syntax there that isn't just... It's, it's like, in addition to the descriptive jargon, right, of cleats and fishing, yeah. there's something in the syntax that's catching a kind of accent as well as sort of, like um it amplifies um that that sense
1: of maritime work but i'm trying to like think of what the accent is like i i fell down a youtube hole of a like this guy he was unwired he and he goes through he like does the accent as he's like explaining how accents form and like he goes to like for um it's not just him obviously because he can't talk about accents and like just have white accents and so but I'm trying to figure out what the Long Island accent is because it's complicated because like it's like New York but slightly it's like the New York City typical like I'm walking here but like kind of it's slightly different I don't know how to explain it like and some of that's like that's an Italian kind of accent too that's like evolved over generations but I I hear what Marion's saying and I can't I can't figure out how to describe it to beyond that yeah (laughs) Like it's like <laughs> maybe the N's and the G's a little, I know, because you have like coffee talk, I can do the uh that sketch from uh SNL. But yeah, it's not, it's the N's, it's the G's, how they feel in your mouth. And they like Island. this poem picks up on it. Yeah. Long Island is one word, isn't it? Yeah. Long Island. <laughs> like right. in Nassau County and then uh it was Suffolk and <laughs>
3: <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, but it, it's in it. But to back to the poem too, yeah. right? Like, there's, it's, um, like it's it's a it's a lyric, right? In the sense, not like the Billy Joel lyric, right? Yeah. But it's it's capturing this moment, right? And this um, this kind of uh, emotional affect, right? So it's a little, it's a meditation on clubbing fish, but it comes at like comes back out of that to a description of the landscape right and so it's it's from that like specificity out to this bigger description let's say and to alex's point you know my god we, you, you forget <laughs> right you forget Long islands right is surrounded by water as is new york city right like these are yeah. these are maritime these are maritime places but we we blow past that and, and forget we just forget right that um so much of life unfolds in, in in this way right on 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 the water yeah for first some time. First time. Can, can we
0: talk about this i was struck by this the first time i read it it starts with you know drowns the clubbing you deal blue fish on deck right so we know who the you is and we know what's happening but um everything is against the fisher person right everything is against the fisher person the Bluefish are flipping silvered curses, the wind cracks you a backhand, the, um, the boat itself, the inboard coughs and taunts and seizes, and the reindeer spit on your back, right? That is, is really interesting to me that this fisherman is clubbing these bluefish and everything else is attacking him. The boat, the wind, the rain, the fish.
2: I would um, thinking about that and like kind of the placement of of the people in this. It I would like to read this poem with the um the Tracy K Smith villanelle "Solstice," where I think it starts with like they're gassing geese at JFK, and much like this poem, it's it's kind of like in some ways about. that everyday um, interaction between humans and animals, sharing a particular place and kind of those shifting power dynamics. Um, And I think that's something that I like about this poem that I think I could enter this poem with kind of feeling different ways, maybe about human beings or about animals or, or the world and have a different read of it each time, depending on like where I am and, and those thoughts when I'm reading it, which is much similar, it's much the same as the experience of the, the Smith poem I mentioned.
0: Oh, I think Marion was taking notes and she'll reference that poem in the notes. So, so are we getting to that moment? guys? It, yeah,
1: I guess the last thing, I. As I'm somebody who I, I bounce off of poems that are like just observations on nature and then what I like about this is like maybe it's slopolistic but like to have the human in nature and like what does that mean because that brings up so many questions like human as part of nature what nature can do to humans like I like I, I'm in a place and I'm like observing a per, like a person in nature or i'm able to put myself in the, the uh the fisherman's shoes in this case and so i i like what the poem's doing and like what questions it kind of brings up tangentially
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know we didn't mention this really obvious thing too long island sound you guys spoke so much about the accent and i don't think i ever would have even thought about the accent but i thought about the you know, pun intended of the sounds of Long Island, right? The sounds of Long Island sound. There's so much sound in this poem. So it's interesting that you guys also, the sound of the accent came through too. There's a lot of
3: sound. Hey, Liam, that is actually something, I keep looking back at the poem the way it sort of lays out on the page too, right? Like the stanzas are a varying length, right? So some are one, two, three, four, like six lines or four lines or three lines. Five, five lines, right? And so like, I can't quite put my finger on the sort of structural pattern there. Um, and most of them are um, like chunky, right? Like chunky stanzas, except for when we get to the end and then the last four lines are in couplets. But, and, it, and at first as a reader, I'm just like, what is, what's the, like, what's the structure here? What's the choice? Um, how does this cohere? So I'm like a little flummoxed by it, but in love with the sound, as you just put it, right? So, and I'm just going to, um, I'm going to read it again, right from the middle. And the rain, the rain, dares spit on your back in the hold, under gulls striking near. The siren water sounds gone unlovely, steady long gone. Just the sound of metal striking struck metal, like metal resisting your ford hard and hot and bent and... The gulls cry over diesel on waves. The sheen, sheening a sad iridescence like soap on tongue, right? Um, and I, I, just wanted to try to read that out loud because it doesn't. It, it, it looks, it looks like it's harder to say it, right? Because those lines extend in a way that the other stanzas don't. Oh my God, is that fun to say? <laughs>
1: Sorry, when you said Chunky, I'm like, so Manhattan clam chowder or New England clam chowder?
0: I like Rhode Island. I like when we mix them up. (laughs) (laughs) So how about a vote? All right. All right, here we go. One, two, three, vote. And it's unanimous. Woo hoo! All it's right, normal. thank you so much, Nancy Thorleifsen, for allowing us
2: um, the honor of
0: reading and having so much fun with your poem. And I'm so glad that's in. And now we're going to move on to Rachel Phillips. After you left us, are you Is wanting to read, I- Mayor?
3: Can I read this one? Is it if it's if it's all right with the gang, Sam? Do you Absolutely, you want to read? please, please okay. do. All right, um, so across time and space, bending the space-time continuum from Abu Dhabi, if I get raptured, um, I promise I'll come back. (laughs) Which, by the way, is perfect context for this poem by Rachel Phillips. After, (laughs) after, After you left us. After you left us, I got the call. Her cremains are ready, she said. The what, I said, the cremains. Cremated remains, she explained testily, like, duh. Oh, I say, her ashes. What I wanted to say, she should never be called cremains. Of course, I angry Googled it, industry term, euphemism, first found in a newspaper obituary in 1947, discovered that her body, once incinerated, was swept from the furnace with a metal broom and looked nothing like ashes or cremains, but like sand and bleached sticks, a desiccated high tide at the beach. I found myself admiring our stubborn big bones, which apparently always refused to yield to 1800 degrees. Yet even they must submit to process, get pulverized in a cremulator to a uniform grind to fit the urn, to make the gone and their place inside us take up the least space possible.
0: Thank you, Marion. Great reading. Now we've been stunned to silence. <laughs> <laughs> Slushies and new listeners. We often read a poem and then you'll hear nothing, and you think you're, you're you've been cut out or you've dropped the, the recording, but it's just us thinking. I
3: angry. So, um... I, I was just going to say, I angry Google. And I'm so sorry that Jason's not actually on the call. There's something about the line breaks and the pacing in this poem that I, I can almost hear Jason's intonation in this uh-huh. entire right? Like, like I can just imagine I got the call, her cremains are ready. She said, the what? I said, the cremains, cremated remains, right? Like I can like, just, just hear um, Jason's sort of arch delivery of, of this. <laughs> <laughs> which to the credit of the poem right so it's using very casual language and um again like the earlier poem uh, a very specific contemplation of jargon right um difference being here is, like the other poem is using jargon to describe the world this one's using the jargon to to like unravel and contemplate the impossibility of of human remains of grief of of all of us ultimately turned to dust or sand and grit as yeah. the case may be. I think
0: the thing I admire the most about the poem is that it's not sentimental it really is just describing what um, happens when a body gets cremated until that last stanza when we finally get the, the pink at the grease.
3: Mm-hmm. I really I have to say I admire the the way that image works too, right? Creating the least space inside of us, right? Like, um I'm gonna make sure I have that right. And there, yeah. Uh, to to make the gone and their place inside of us, inside of us to take up the least space possible. I love the duality of that, right? Like the acknowledgement that that grief is forever with you, right? You're scarred by that, right? You're gonna carry that with you, right? But there's something about the, the effortful move to turn a body into to ashes, right? As if to acknowledge you, you, you want it to be as compressed and compacted as possible. I, I, I really am drawn to that um, articulation.
2: I like how the um, like invocation of the year 1947 um, really makes me step back a moment because the first stanzas feel so contemporary, like the duh and um, just kind of the, the quick uh, back and forth, um, kind of the irreverence to what's happening and then, you know, almost the words newspaper signal to me, something older, and then we get the 40s and it comes as this kind of like delight that um, that this term could possibly be from that time because it just feels, it feels something so modern. Like it's hard to even imagine for me, like people back then, like being so flippant in a way. Yeah.
1: I. I... The word you use irreverence, that, that was a word I was trying to look for, because what strikes me about this poem is it starts off with a human's irreverence towards death. Like, I mean, we don't know the other person on the line, it might just be their job and they have, like, they see this all day and they have to, like, that's how they operate, but then it becomes a meditation on nature's irreverence towards, or towards life and death. So I just that and it does it so seamlessly that like that he used there's angry googled is in the same oh is a word used in the same poem that like pondering grief and the mysteries of life and death so just a very very well handled yeah. (laughs) I'm gesturing and I'm not saying words, which is famously podcasting visual medium. <laughs> uh, it's the Long Island. <laughs>
0: well, I, I'm sorry, go ahead.
3: Just to just to sort of get behind what both Samantha and Alex are saying there too, this sort of juxtaposition, right, of this super casual contemporary flippant language, right? With historical details and the sort of um Existential uh, contemplation, like it's a it's a wild mix. It's just a wild mix of um, of gestures, right? That come like the voice is really clear. Plus, I get a sense of the voice's relationship to the person who's passed. Um, the sort of like you know uh, refusal to to en- envision this person transformed thusly, right? Um, and yet the process is in play.
0: Um, just recently, on a, on a personal note, I've been thinking about, well, everyone who have been aware of their death of late has been cremated. I just think that everybody's getting cremated. And and then when I read this poem and saw, I had the same reaction that Sam did. Somehow, when I read that it was first used in 1947, uh, it compelled me to look and see if my hunch was right, that we're getting cremated more than ever. And I was surprised that we've only just passed 50%, like half, the popu- half of people are being cremated. Because so I thought it was even higher. They predict that it will be more popular soon, like it'll be 80% of the population right now, it's half the population, but it has increased exponentially since the forties apparently you know, the, that we're doing that it's been increasing every year until we've now reached half of people. And I just thought that was interesting. And here, here, when I read this, it compelled me to not angry Google, <laughs> but curiosity Google, because I've been just
1: thinking that, that everybody gets cremated now. And it's still not everybody, it's only half. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking, because in my family, there's a bit of a humorously, like cynical, uh, reaction to death like my grandmother who passed away last year and my mom now it's like oh you put me in a trash like trash bag and like like i'm good just cremate me i'm good like that kind of pause it and then like i'm also thinking when my like my grandmother was cremated and like it's a bit of her sense of humor that she got stuck in like connecticut for like three months after she (laughs) passed away because Just between all the stuff that was happening in early in the pandemic, uh-huh. so, I just th- this, I love the. There's a bit of sense of humor in this too. Like it is con, like it is sentimental towards the end, but like, cre- creme sounds like something I can buy off a shelf. Like also, like it, it sounds like a cookie if you're not like thinking about it too hard. So I I do love that. There's a uh, it balances sense of humor and sentimentality that's also struck very carefully so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i i our family's weird about (laughs) or like not as uh, i don't know we have an interesting view of death (laughs) i guess
0: well i think um what is universal here too is that you would become almost to also to not assuage your grief but to think about something else for a minute All of these details, you know, the metal broom, the eighteen hundred degrees, like Mm -hmm. it. uh, Knowing all those details is kind of like, you know, the car accident thing. You're you're compelled to look, even as you're repelled, when you realize that that is your person. She should never be called cremains, but yet she gives us all these facts about it, because she can't. You know. Help, but look what actually does happen. What do they do? How does this actually work? You know.
3: Yeah, I think that for me is also part of the really dramatic um, impact the poem has for me. That like I, you know, uh, you know, our, 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 when our parents pass away, right? Like. Um, I don't know how to say this without getting really personal, but uh, my uh, father-in-law is not doing well, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the way in which we're um, talking about his transition in life is extremely tech- technical and tied to finances and insurance policies and what are we going to do with the Koreans, right? And sure. the, lang- the language of that allows like uh, it's both a distraction like you said but it puts a gap between like it just puts a gap between us and the experience of this and, sure. and Michael himself, right and and I think that's part of why this poem feels like um, uncanny in a way like you said it's like cremated like, I thought more than 50 percent of the world you know folks in the U.S. for instance are getting cremated I thought it was much more commonplace than that even though that is an increase right, right. I have no idea going on since 1947 right but but it's this it's the use of jargon to create a buffer right between the the fact of the death and the experience of the death and yet that that emotion still manifests at the end of the poem in a way that is a a theory of grief is fascinating to me it's just it
0: just really resonates yeah and i think we should also bring up the title the emotionality you know after you left us is purely emotional and then the whole poem is factual right like to relay the phone call is not you know is is not even about your this uh, this loved one that died at all really right um and so so i kind of dig i I like that very much. That that um, it starts off with almost heavy-handed emotionality, and then steps away completely uh, until the end.
2: I agree with you, Kathy. Like the gone is the smallest part of this poem, and I think that that for me is what you know takes this poem into the celestial in a way because it that's what I see time and time again. Like when people talk about, or when I talk about people I've lost, you kind of speed skate through that moment of talking about them and then get like into the facts because it, it's just easier. Right. Well,
0: the editorial staff, are we voting? Let's say so. okay they're all nodding also also so she's visually everybody's nodding so one two three vote and it is also unanimous thank you rachel phillips um so to both read this and i'll publish it thank you so much um
3: way to go yeah interesting so um as a as a like wrap up moment here, this is an interesting project to look at two separate poems by two separate poets on a single issue, and yet this is, was by accident, not choreography. Thinking about specificity, vocabulary, jargon, language, how how both of them come in as um, accents, right, for the emotions or the ideas um, in these poems. It's just a it's a cool juxtaposition. So thank you poets.
0: Thank you poets for helping us out.
3: All right. All
0: right. Does anybody have anything else they need to say on this very good day? Um, Okay. Well, slushies, let us know how we're doing. And poets, thank you one more time. Nancy Thorleafson and Rachel Phillips, thank you so very much. And thank everybody for being here and keep reading. Woohoo! Woo-hoo.